All right, now uh, we're in the church in Pergamos. Uh, if you have your outline, and we'll just pick up where we left off. Uh, we concluded by giving a little history of how uh, Smyrna changed into the church in Pergamos with the advent of uh, Constantine the Great who seized control of the Roman Empire. Okay, you all there? And how that this was when the church uh, wedded the world and they became one entity so that there was uh, no distinction virtually between the two. You could be a worldly person and be a Christian, no problem. Uh, you could be a Christian and be fully in the world. It was all an outward thing. Uh, to Constantine the Great, uh, uh, he did not see uh, that it was such a big deal to be head of the church on one hand and high priest of uh, the different uh, pagan uh, deities on the other. It was uh, just something to him of a kind of an accommodation. The whole spirit of Pergamos can be summarized in one word that I think is very crucial, and I'd like you to really, uh, you know, tune into this word, and that is, the spirit of Pergamos is the spirit of compromise, okay? It is a compromising spirit with the present age, with the world, things that are uh, uh, worldly in nature, belong to uh, the source of this world, uh, and of course, uh, this is where Satan has his throne. Please remember, the church is a kingdom where Christ rules as the king. It has a king, and the church is the dumb. King dumb. Dumb is short for domain. You have a king with his domain. That's a kingdom. Satan also has a, a kingdom. His kingdom is this world, and he is the ruler. When we say that we wrestle not against uh, authorities and rulers, we're talking about Satan and his lieutenants, who are the fallen angels. Okay? Uh, uh, these are the ones that are behind the scene. This is the unseen hand, the unseen mind, the master mind controlling all the things that are so tangible, that are so seeable, that are so touchable. You see, uh, this present world system is a product of the mastermind of its inventor, which is Satan himself. He is the king. He's the ruler. He's the authority. That's why it says he has a throne. And that throne is the throne of his authority. Uh, you, uh, just like we Christians in the kingdom of God live by Christ through or as the indwelling spirit, uh, you know, Satan has a, uh, a counterpart type kingdom. A kingdom of darkness. That's what Colossians, you know, chapter one says. Who God has transferred out of transferred us where? Or from what? Out of what? The authority of darkness into what? The kingdom of the of Christ, of the Son of His love. That's the authority. You see? There's two kingdoms, two authorities, two realms. There's a world, and believe me, that is that is like the church to Satan. Just like the church 
is the home of Christ. Christ dwells in the church. Satan dwells in the world. Christ's throne is in the church. Satan's throne is in the world. You see, two kingdoms, two rulers, two authorities, two rivals, two arch enemies, two conflicts, and two collisions. Okay? Pergamos is the marriage of these two entities that are uh, that, it, that it is impossible that it is impossible to uh, mix you see unless something comes in that you lose you see they're two absolutes if you mix them you get you get uh, you just get a mess you get a mixture a compromise that's why we have to see what is the world uh, the world is the world is a compromise. It's not so absolute as something uh, sinful. Sinful, something of sin is absolute. The world is sneakier. The world is a compromise. You see? And while we wouldn't say it's not sinful, we have to realize that there's a spirit there. Just like the Spirit of Christ animates the kingdom of the Son of His love, so the spirit of the power or the authority of this heir animates the sons of disobedience who are the members of the kingdom of this world. And that's where we walked before we were transferred and changed kings, changed allegiance change the realms we were in, you see. And there should be always a very, a very uh, definite, clear-cut uh, distinction between the church, which is of, through, and in God, and the world, which is of, in, and through Satan. You see? The world is not salvageable. The world is, according to 1 John the world is passing away. The world is not improving. It is not going to improve. Man is not going to find anything positive. Uh, the testimony, the prophetic testimony of Scripture is, is the world is in a definite angle of decline and it will uh, come in the last days. It will reach such degradation that uh, it will set the stage for all the final events uh, uh, leading up to the Lord's second coming, okay? So nobody should invest their being in this present age. This present age is passing away. So the Apostle John said, what? Love not the world, neither the things in the world. Okay? And, then, and of course, he also said, because the world is passing away passing away. It's like, it's like you're on the, the ship, the Titanic. Okay? The iceberg has been hit. Okay? It is not going to make it to the Western Hemisphere. It is going to sink. Okay? Don't say the ship will not sink. It is already taking on water. It's taking on a lot of water. It has only got a short distance to go and then and then it will it will capsize. It will go down, you see. You know, there's a famous slogan uh, talking about uh, don't, you know, don't stand around doing anything. It's it's uh, when the Titanic goes down, I don't want to be left playing the piano. See, saints when Christ comes again, we don't want to be left playing the piano. The ship is going down. It's sinking. It's sinking. The world is passing away. 
uh, I, it's not that we just hit it and the little waters come in. I mean, it, the, the ship is like this, and it's gone down considerably. Okay, we're not that far from the Lord's second coming. I, I can't say uh, the Lord has been patient for two thousand years, two millenniums. Whether we have X years, ten years, twenty years, I don't know. Uh, no, no man knows the the time at this point because we don't have we don't have the signals that are definite. But the signs are lining up. The signs are lining up, and uh, uh, the uh, testimony of the world system is also right on the prophetic schedule. And the things that Paul said would happen in the last days are happening. And the description of what it's like there matches today's situation. We live in the days of Noah. You see? And this was prophesied by the Lord that, that at His coming it will be as in the days of Noah. See, the days of Noah was an, uh, the days of ungodliness, the days of rebellion, the days of, of, of uh, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, you see. It was absolutely that kind of uh, situation, and God just wiped it out with a flood and started over, right, with His called race. Okay, having said that, I would just uh, try to impress you that when the church in Pergamos came, came in and this was the invasion of the water into the Titanic. Okay, when that occurred, this was the, this was the beginning of the end of the church in Pergamos. Okay, the church can be, can be and has been and will continue to be beat upon from the outside. The worldly persecution can beat and beat and beat, even unto death. And the church will prevail. The Lord, the Lord did it. He prophesied it. And church history has proven it. That it can take, withstand, and even flourish under the beating of the enemy's attack from without, even if it requires physical martyrdom. But when corruption creeps in and saturates from the inside, then it, is, uh, it has a termite effect. It begins, to, it begins to eat away at the very structure itself, and the whole house becomes weakened, unstable, fluctuating, and at that point, the world slowly, almost imperceptibly, but very... Uh, very uh, subtly comes in and this is the main enemy of the church. The, enemy, the church can see sin and deal with it. It can see persecution and overcome it. But worldliness is a small, slow, creeping, subtle thing. And it, it eats away. It eats away. You see? So... That's why of everything we fear, of everything we fear, we have to fear this kind of what? Compromise. When we start compromising, we stop being the testimony of Jesus. Okay? No compromise.
No quarter given. No mercy shown to what? To the world. Why? Because that is the kingdom of Satan. Okay? As I said earlier, these are, these, this, uh, this marriage was uh, a mutual dwelling place. These two began to dwell together peacefully. Can you imagine that? It's like nitro and glycerin suddenly shook hands and said, let's not blow up when we... You see? A marriage. An illegal marriage between the church and the world. Well, Satan's subtle. And so he did have uh, a way that he thought would be more prevailing after he tried to pound on the church. And he was right. This... this this has been the biggest damage to the, the militant church of God uh, throughout all church history. Okay. Uh, in talking about the world, uh, so that it's not a vague thing, let me just try to give a few points so that when we use the word world, we're not all, uh, we are all on the same page, okay? We, we're using the same... Uh, concepts and so forth, okay? So first of all, let me give a simple definition of what we talk about when we say world, okay? Uh, I've done this many times, so most of you are familiar with it. But the world is simply this. It's whatever, it's whatever replaces God and at the same time usurps man. If it replaces God and usurps man, that is the world. The world cannot be listed in a manual. It would, it would take a whole library to hold it anyway. But in principle, it is anything if it replaces God. Man was created to contain and be filled and enjoy God. And anything that replaces God that is a usurping of man's destiny and reason for being on this earth and therefore is of the world. Okay, so that is what we mean, you see. So it, it's a, it applies to what? It applies to whatever. That's what it applies to. Okay, it applies to whatever. Just consider one thing. Does it replace and does it... Right. See, does it replace God and does it get to you? Okay. Number two, the world, as this word throne is, indicates, is a, is a system that has authority to it. Okay. What I mean by this is the, the common person considers the world, uh, if they have any concept of, of, of what's built up out there over, you know, over uh, 6,000 years of Satan. Satan's uh, inventive mind working day and night to establish this thing, create this thing, uh, uh, they have to realize uh, there's an authority behind the world. It is a product of someone who has a throne of authority and who causes his puppets to live in the spirit of disobedience to God. Okay? They're under the control of this aggregate spirit. Okay? Now, uh, 
the reason, the reason this must impress us is because the common concept of the world is that it's, it's a kind of, uh, it's just out there. It's some good, some bad, but anyway, it's just a kind, of, it's a kind of a thing, a kind of a neutral thing, maybe, you see. No, no. I, I used to think this way, you see. Uh, no. The world has got an authority behind it, and every aspect of it, every aspect of it is hostile to God. Every aspect of it. Okay. It may be great, it may be benevolent, it may do great works, it may be full of good works, but when it comes down to being one spirit with Jesus Christ, no, they won't take that. You know why? Because the source of it is Satan, and he will never agree to that. So, so you can do a lot of things. You can even have the Peace Corps, which is very virtuous. I'm glad for certain things like this, right? I'm glad for elements like this. But don't expect that to be considered as part of the kingdom of God. It's not. There is hostility to God there, just like there is hostility to God, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, most promiscuous nightclub in New York City. It's the same rebellious attitude. So it's whatever, okay? Don't be deceived. There is something behind all this. There is an authority there, you see? And it does dominate. It does control. Okay? All right, number three. The world is an elaborate system designed by Satan. It is elaborate. When I say elaborate, I wish I had a better word. It is so elaborate, so systematic, so vast, so broad, so compartmentalized, so full, that the world is nearly, is, the world is all-inclusive for an unbeliever like Christ is all-inclusive for a believer. Then what I'm saying is the world has something for every person if they want to go the way of darkness. Just like Christ has the riches for everybody's need if they take the way of God. Do you follow me? I'll give you an example. You know, uh, 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 today, in today's age, uh, oh, it hasn't been but a quarter century since malls became very popular. You know malls? Uh, it used to be not like that. You went to Sears or you went to Penny's. They were stores by themselves. Now, now no one likes to do that because they like to go one place and get it all, right? Brilliant. I, I, I'm not, if I'm going to go buy something, I'm certainly going to save time by going to a mall unless I know exactly what I'm looking for, right? A mall is, a kind of, is, is what I would like to illustrate is a, a poor illustration of the world, you see? You know what? Um, my high school daughter, she always thinks it's a great thing to go to the mall, you see. And uh, just don't give her much money when she goes because there's so much there. There's just a lot there, right? How can you get bored? How can you get bored there? Look at the stores. I mean, if you just want, if you just want a piece of pie, look at the place, look at the choices. You see, it's quite, it's quite a little world there. Isn't there really something for about everybody there? 
They really like the world. I mean the uh, mall. Excuse me. <laughs> well, why don't we meet at the mall? <laughs> well, there are other reasons they meet at the mall, but they, see, they don't think I know those things. You see. I, I really do understand. Uh, well, you know, uh, what if you're an intellectual? Can you get some at the mall? There's four or five kinds of bookstores, aren't there? What if you're a, what if you're a sports nut? What are you going to do? Oshman's. Oh, you know, you know, huh? Okay. I was I was totally at a loss myself, but Oshman's is okay. Right. What if you're kind of into electronics? You know, some people they're, they're oh Radio Shack. Oh yeah, you see. Well, what if you're into fashions? What do you do? Listen, I can't believe it. Last time I was in mall, there was a car dealership there. If you're into cars, you can go there and look at the latest models. I think it's Buick. I said, this is it. Now they've got a car dealership. See? Okay. That's a poor illustration. But believe me, the world is an elaborate, elaborate system developed over centuries of time. And there is something for everybody. Don't say this person is worldly and this person is not worldly. Listen, this world has an, uh, a niche, a slot for everybody's interests. And it will allow you to sit there, live there, be comfortable there and waste your life there. Whether it's in a scientific lab doing top research or whether it's uh, 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 living on some kind of skid row, on the, living on the low life side of things, there is nevertheless a place where you can sit and still be under the authority of this system. You can find your niche there, your interest. And, and don't say, I'm interested in this, but I'm the only one on the earth like that. No, it, there, is, there, are, there are places for you to be in that realm. That's what I mean. It is an elaborate setup. Do you follow me? That's why people group together. They have different interests, right? Lots, a lot of different interests. They just group together. There's one man on my block, and we're very good friends. He's a, he's a very uh, scholarly, intelligent person. He's from India. He's elderly and uh, worked for the United Nations for, you know, when he was younger. Speaks about six languages. Uh, decided to do a doctorate in something when he was about 70-something years old. And he's working on that right now. Uh, taught himself surgery, <laughs> and so we sit down. To, we sit down to talk. We sit down to talk, and you can tell, boy, it's a pretty philosophical. And uh, uh, I have to ask him some definitions of some of the English word English words he uses. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, where I, I find out what sententious meant. Uh, but the guy is really, the guy is really something. 
he has a group of like-minded people that he's touched throughout the years and they meet once a month on a rotating basis from house you know from house to house just like in Acts and they get and 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 they select a topic and everybody considers that topic and they come together and discuss that philosophic topic for one night once a month the last topic was on reality and listen to this not what we think is reality but the rea- the reality being that which is is seen and touchable seeable and touchable then what is that's called veritable reality then there then there is uh what is called simulated reality and then there was a third kind of reality I, I didn't catch so they talked about three dimensions of reality and they all sat around and talked about it see if I would have been invited, we'd have had a fourth type of reality. <laughs> How about the reality? Okay. Uh, you, you, these are the. This guy is the finest man I've ever met outside of Christ. He's the finest. But he's still ruled by the spirit of the air. Now, that, that's, not, that's not easy to admit that. I could even say, I love that man. We've had some long discussions. And he tolerates my views. He's not, he is not a bigot. But he's still just a man, and he does not have Christ. I would say he's more moral than I am. Uh, you know, he's, he's Hindu, and they have high morals. Uh, he, I, I probably have some liberties uh, in Christ that he doesn't have in his religion. But he. He still doesn't have the reality. This is what I mean. There's an elaborate system, you see. Do you think that group of men that probably were similar to him, do you think if I said, okay, according to God, the only reality is Jesus Christ experienced by you? Everything outside of that is vanity. Where do you do you think they would argue with me? Yes, they would argue. You see, that argument against Christ is rebellion. That's the spirit of the air. Right. Okay. Uh, number four. Besides it having a, an elaborate system, the world is under a dynamic escalation. It is escalating in its nature. It is the snowball, the proverbial snowball, rolling downhill, getting bigger and going faster. Getting bigger and going faster. It is, uh, you might say, escalating, proliferating, expanding all the time. Saints 
we live right now in an age that this snowball is now out of control. It is so fast moving. There is no place to be that is safe. Not just from some influence of the world, but from a penetration of the, of the, uh, of the world to a degree that would really usurp man. See, this is a fact. There's an evolution process here, and the world has, is speeding. You see? Uh, this is also according to prophecy, and uh, the timetable uh, in the Bible that we can infer does present it in this kind of way. Okay? So it's escalating. You know, this statistic I mentioned, I forgot either to y'all or to somebody. Uh, I mentioned that somebody figured this out, and I, I don't know how they did it or how to verify it, but I believe it. I, I, I at least believe it. Really, I more than believe it. Okay, and that is that, that today you have more opportunities to do certain things in one day than your grandparents had in their whole lifetime. Okay. I don't mean you have time to do them all or anything like that. I mean there are just more options, more things, more... Uh, uh, I mean, there was a time, and it was not that long ago, just a couple of generations removed, when there, I mean, what happens and what we're exposed to in one day of time took weeks, months, and even years for people to come in contact with. We were that kind of society, an agrarian society, uh, removed today. Everything is just compacted and intensified. This is the world system. It has escalated to such a high degree. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. You see. Then uh, I would say uh, the fifth point I want to mention is the world. Besides, it, it's you know what it is in nature and its uh, its authority, its elaborate system, and its escalating you know movement. The 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 result of all of this is the cooling effect that it has upon God's people to make them cool lukewarm that's Laodicea lukewarm cool so that your spirit which should which should be burning becomes cool I don't say cold but cool you see when our spirit gets weak and we get cool then we have to we have to know what's going on. Many a Christian started this cooling process and they never knew what was happening. And they were drinking of the spirit of this age and after they had drunk to a certain extent because they didn't know certain things. They, they, they didn't have certain basic help. After a while they were found, found themselves right back where they were, or worse, you see? So we have to guard our hearts 
okay? We have to guard our heart. Now, we have some, we all on the same page now what the world is? Okay. Actually, this page is the Bible. Okay. Don't argue with the Bible. If, if, if God says, love not the world, then that's it. If it says the world is passing away, that's it. If it says man cannot serve God and mammon, that's it. Okay? Uh, remember, the downfall is what? Compromise. Compromise. Uh, then I would like to just also make a, a, a mention here that uh, this whole concept of Pergamos should not be taken lightly. That is the welcoming, the welcoming aspect of the world. Uh, the world, you see, uh, the world, its first tactic is to slander and persecute. Its second tactic is to pat you on the back and welcome you. Okay? We have to be scared to death of the second one. The first one will be okay because it's an obvious enemy. The second one we have to fear. It's a subtle enemy. Things subtle are, are more to be feared than things that are bold. Okay, we have to be afraid of this. You see, I'm, I'm so thankful and I'm so happy as of now, saints, our ministry in the local churches, thank the Lord, is not welcome. The world has not welcomed us. Hallelujah for that. This means we're on the right track. You see, then who does welcome us? Very few. But who are these few? They are the ones God has put inside of them a desire, a seeking to know Him in, in His fullness and to know His church in, uh, as His purpose. You see, that is really, really big. So we will never be the big tree. You see, no. That's full of compromise. Believe me, so compromised. No, but the church is small, like, like a mustard seed. Small, very small. You see, we're not going to have the masses like Constantine initiated. You see, today the world is full of the masses of religion. Right? No, this is not the way. Those masses are, are 90-something percent of the world and only a little percent of the Lord, if it's even Christian. The other religions are just, are just the world in the religious department of that store. Okay? You don't have to worry about being popular. (laughs) 
You know, when I was in college, see, I'm still, I, college is so near to me because I've always stayed around college students. So it never drifted off into the far recesses of my mind, okay? It's, I don't think about it, but when I get around other people who are, uh, you know, I feel, I feel like it's not that removed, okay? And in saying all of that, I've forgotten what my point was. <laughs> <laughs> what was I trying to get at? Popularity. Oh, yeah, popularity. You see, let me tell you something. Yeah, let me tell you something. My roommate and I, when we went to college, we weren't in the church at that time. Uh, but we went there and we made this little pack. You see, we, we were kind of gospel buddies. Went to the same high school and got saved right close in the close time frame. And so we just, you know, we just were really into uh, the things of the Lord at that, you know, to our level in uh, in those days. When we hit that, when we hit the college, we worked it out so we could room together. Now that took something because this was an athletic dorm, and he was not an athlete. He used to be, but he had been injured, and so uh, he lost his scholarship, which was to another school. Uh, and so he came there, and by some maneuvering, we got him. We, we were roommates because I was the only freshman on that wing. I think that was it. No one, none of the other players wanted to live with me. So I got him. <laughs> okay. So, so <laughs> we got in there, and that that little dorm room became off limits to the world. They just walked around it. It was amazing. It was like there was some aura. Invisible. Don't go in there, or if you do, shut your mouth and don't let anything come out of it. I mean, even when we would go and take a shower or something like that, uh, because there were two of us, that was the big thing. Uh, <laughs> people would shut up. I'd never. It was so funny. I, I wish. I wish I had the ability then that I have now to laugh at it, but it, I mean, I didn't laugh at it then, but it was so, it was so amazing. He just shut up. And sometimes uh, someone would say something a little profane, you know, just a slip of the tongue, and man, they would, they would just blush and get so embarrassed and uh, so forth. It, it, was, it, was, it was amazing. Then, and then uh, so, the, uh, we started having some little prayer times, and a little, some people would join us, and uh, they got kind of stirred up, and, and pretty soon, uh, the whole wing, that whole wing got turned on to the Lord. The whole wing, uh, with maybe one or two holdouts. That you know, I'll die first, kind of thing. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It was really amazing. And you know what one person said? He said, "You know, when you guys are around, it's like God walked in." <laughs> I said, "I said, wow, that's really good. Oh, that's really good." Listen, listen. Before before they uh, start their little persecution game, listen. Even the coaches, even the coaches, didn't fool with us. They were they were afraid of us. They were they were afraid of us. They wouldn't they wouldn't raise their voice to us. They'd yell, scream, 
everybody else. They wouldn't raise their voice. Isn't that something? Well, uh, that was that was uh, maybe maybe uh, something that uh, couldn't go on because some people were really coming into the kingdom that way. So uh, eventually, some persecution came in, and uh, that scared a lot of people. It also solidified others. So that was a real that was a real uh, you know breaking there that the Lord obviously came in and did. Okay, anyway, way off and way off into that. Okay, back to uh, something so uh, normal here. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Because I thought about this years and years and years. Don't you believe that the ministry we enjoy, and some of you don't know to the extent of what I mean when I say the ministry we enjoy, but I've been enjoying this ministry since I was 19, okay? Uh, Not just occasionally, but I mean on a daily basis, I've been enjoying this ministry, okay? It is, it is, and I've never met somebody who, who, you know, if they were honest, I mean, a straightforward person who didn't have an axe to grind, who would not say it's the most superior ministry they've ever heard. I've met nobody. You see, even people who weren't with us, they they admitted that. You see, and actually, there's a proof of this because you know. Watchman Nee, who really, who really began the practice of the church life, and whose spiritual ministry, uh, you know, he was he was really raised up uh, by the Lord in China during all those years, and who Brother Lee was with for those 18 years before uh, the communists took over. Uh, Brother Nee's Brother Nee's books are the uh, main item that sells in Christian circles across the board. Some circles like one thing and some circles might like another. And so, but as far as being generally accepted as being really biblical and spiritual, it's number one bestseller. And that's, and that's without even thinking about the bestsellers of some fiction, you know, like late great Planet Earth, where you know it would take some prophecy and weave a story about it or something. I don't mean a, a bestseller like that. I mean hardcore books about truth. You see? Don't you think on a camp? Okay, okay. Let's just say we went on the campus. And we just said, look, we have, all, we have the riches of Christ. We can tell you all about the unsearchable riches of Christ for you to enjoy, experience, etc., etc. Do you think we would be the most prevailing and popular ministry on campus? Think about it. Think, I, th- I think about it. Listen, we could have hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of people there's only one one problem. 
and that is we will not give up our vision and our burden that the experience of Christ is not just for the individual it is to produce the church if we gave that up we would be welcomed by Christians welcomed and we would have if we would have the, we, we would be the greatest we would brother Lee would be the hottest speaker in America even though his English is not good he would be the hottest speaker in America But right now, we're not welcome because we insist that the experience of Christ is for the building of the church. And we will not give up the oneness. We will not sit around and watch the life of Christ uh, try to be fed into divisions. We're not for that. We're, we're, for, we're for people to experience the life of Christ on an individual basis regardless of who they are and where they are but we are not far building up divisions no we have we can't then our conscience will would give us trouble we have to we have to live by peace in our conscience see so see really the slander we get is really not based on our wonderful ministry of Christ it's really based on our absoluteness to be the church according to the Bible. Okay. Uh, let's buzz through some high points here. One, and to the messenger of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Again, this shows Christ is all-inclusive because... Uh, this is a worldly church. They don't need to, he doesn't need to be uh, the first and the last here, does he? Out of his mouth, this is in chapter 1, out of his mouth proceeded a sharp two-edged sword. You know what this sword is for? You know why it's sharp? There's a sword here. That's war. That's battle. Things are settled on the battlefield. All human questions and decisions have been settled on the battlefield. That's where history comes from. You have concepts, you have ideals, it's settled in war. That's how, that's how it happens. That's history. If you don't know history, you do, all decisions are finalized by who won the war. You see, that's why America is here today. We, we won this through war. For what? For the ideals and concepts that, that we felt were, you know, quote, inalienable. There were inalienable rights. So we fought for that, okay? Okay, see, the sharp two-edged sword is the, is the final decision maker. It cuts, it slays, it renders in two, it casts asunder the things that would be mixed and renders the final decision as to what is God and what is not God. What is Christ and what is the world, you see? And this, this you see, it, it says here he has a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, down in number six, you see, he says, I will war. Behold, repent therefore, but if not, I come to you quickly and will war with 
the sword of what? My mouth, you see. This is not just something, this is not just something objective. This is the sword out of his mouth, with the sword of my mouth. This is his this is his word. That is not only his written word, but it's also his God-breathed word. It's out of his mouth. Therefore, it is the living word of God. And that just is a it matches Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, the word of God is living and operative and sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. This sword comes out of the mouth of Christ. This makes it living. And it divides us. According to Revelation 12, 2, it divides what? It pierces even to the dividing asunder of our soul and spirit, you see. See? Our spirit here, our spirit here, you see, is for Christ. And our soul here is the target of the world. The world wants into our soul to cool off our spirit. But Christ here wants to get into our soul to transform us so that we'll have a burning spirit and a transformed soul, you see? So you have to have something to divide the soul from the spirit. If they are merged, if there's a marriage there, you see, if they're not divided, if there's a marriage there, then uh, we have a problem. So we need to have a, mar a division so that we know what is the world and what is the Lord Jesus. Okay? I think you catch it. Then verse 2, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. I think you already caught that. Number 3 says, And you hold fast my name and have not denied my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Uh, here, here you have uh, the positive side in this whole thing. The positive thing is that there were some represented by this... A uh, figure called Antipas, this mysterious person called Antipas, who never, who has no record in church history of any source that can be traced to. Okay, that there, that uh, there were some like him, that in the midst of of this situation where there was a a compromising situation, that there was some who did these two things: they held fast the name. And they did not deny the faith. Okay. Now, uh, in doing this, I want to I want to uh, I want to make this real clear because I don't want this to be just some terms. Uh, people today say, you know, keep the faith, and and uh, you got to have faith in a lot of things. But uh, mostly, when you get right down to it, they don't really know too much how to define these things here. Okay, but you see we have the name. We have to hold to the name. Okay? And we have the faith. We should not deny the faith. Okay? Two things that are absolutes. And you may not think this is related to the world. This is exactly what we're talking about. Okay? This is, this is what is not the world. These two items. Because the name is what? The name is what? The name is the person. See, the, the, you don't say that this is a name, but there's not a person. See, when we say Jesus Christ, we don't mean a name. We mean that man, yes. that person. 
Okay? So the name is the reality, or the person is the reality of the name. You see? So there's a person here. Christ. You see? And Christ is real. Christ is living. You see? And we have to hold fast that, that, that name, that person. We, we could say this, Christ, you see, uh, to really hold fast His name, we don't just hold fast a little bit of Christ, not just redemption from our past sins. We have to hold fast Christ in His all-inclusiveness. He has to be our center, our circumference, our focus. We have to be people who don't know anything else but just Christ Himself. What's the answer to what? Christ is the answer to everything. Christ is everything. You know, when I first came into the church, and that first summer I told you about earlier today when I went out to L.A. and stayed five weeks, I didn't see all of this. You see, I, I, I just saw Christ quite a bit compartmentalized in my thinking, you see. And there are other things. And, and, and He has an influence, but I didn't see Him as being all and in all, okay? But, you know, when I was out there, I got, I got a lot of shocks. I got a lot of shocks. And one day, we were like this way, and my, uh, anyway, I forgot what the situation was, but we were in a car somewhere, and uh, we stopped for something, and someone, there was somebody on the streets, they're all, at that time, a lot of people on the streets around L.A. for one cause or another, and uh, this person said, are you for this, or are you for that? Uh, an example would be like, this wasn't it, but are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? I forgot what the issue was. But anyway, it was, are you for this? Maybe it was ecology. I don't know what was going on at that time, but are you for this or are you for this? And this sister who'd, who had been in the church a couple of years, who lived in L.A., who's, and I was in that same car, uh, when that question was asked in the window, okay? Somebody was passing out stuff or whatever. They said, are you for this or are you for that? You, you know what she said? I, I was thinking, what would I say? You know, I was thinking, what, what side do I really line up on? She said, she said, I'm for Christ. She said, she, and I thought, well, that's a, I thought he asked a good question. Are you for this or are you for that? And she says, I'm for Christ. <laughs> I, I, my mind couldn't grasp it, but it just shocked me. You see, we're not people here on this earth. We're this and we're that. We're for this. We're that. We're for Christ. Christ is all per, all pervasive, right? We're for Christ. He's every. He's all. He's in all. You see, we focus. We we all the time. We're just one thing. We're Christ. We're Christ crazy. This is our ministry. We're just for Christ. We don't. We don't care this that. We don't. Uh, as far as as far as uh, ethics and and uh, this and that and so forth. All this stuff is, if it exists, it's 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 miles below the focus on Christ and the vision of the all-inclusive Christ dispensed into man's being. That's what we are for. You see. We never leave this. This is not a, a fad. It's not a little thing comes along occasionally. This permeates our whole being all the time. We're just for this. You see, this means if we're like this, we take care of His person. What is? What do we mean? We hold fast His person. This is not. This is not doctrinal. This means we 
we stick ourselves to the experience of Christ as the indwelling spirit. Amen. See, then when we say faith, you see, we say, well, what is this? Faith is just is just this. Faith are the truths that we believe in to join us to this person. You see? That's all. We're not just here for the faith. What is that? Well, that's the apostolic creed that I can recite. We're for believing the truth about Jesus Christ. We believe in His incarnation, His death, His resurrection, His ascension. We believe in all of these things because it brings us into an organic union with this person. Amen. You see? What this is, is the church. Anything else in this is the world. This is the great. There's a great compromise out there on every, on, on both sides on the person, and there's a compromise also on the truth that we must believe in to join ourselves to the person. Just in one thing, he died on the cross for our sins. This means for our redemption. You see, to rescue us out of condemnation and perdition. He did that. Do you believe today that the majority in this country? The majority of those we would call uh, uh, would would say, "What faith are you?" They would say, "I'm a, of the Christian faith." Do you believe the majority of those people absolutely have put their trust only, totally, totally, and solely in the death of Christ for their acceptance before God, or are they still into this good life, bad life mentality? You think about it. There's a, there's a big compromise here. Big mixture. They still think, a lot of still think it's, it's the uh, eternal life is a tally sheet. You, 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 you know, you add them up and see what side wins. And if you do something bad, you try to atone for it with something good. You try to, you try to balance the sheets. You know, even people, even people get saved. Sometimes their thinking still lingers there. How about this in the in the resurrection of Christ? Everybody, all Christianity believes in the resurrection of Christ. Otherwise, why why do we have Easter? You know, that's the day of His resurrection. Well, see, they want to celebrate His resurrection. What is the resurrection of Christ? Resurrection of Christ is, is Him coming to us inwardly. It's the, it's the another comforter of John 14 coming to indwell us as the Spirit. If I go, I will come again to you. Amen. It's best that I go away. If I go not away, you see, and I can't come to you. See, the last Adam became a life-giving Spirit. He, the resurrection is so this person here can become available to us through believing, you see, so that He can indwell us. This is Christ as the Spirit inside of us. How many do you, th when, when we say resurrection, who knows something about resurrection? How many think that involves the living Spirit at Christ Himself living inside of you uh, in a real way, moment by moment, day by day, and you can walk according to another life inside of you? Now, do you, don't tell me people think of resurrection like that. You see, the truths are compromise. It's all it's, it's all been lost. Compromise, you name it.
I'm bored with these discussions about whether the Bible is inerrant or not inerrant. That to me is a joke. But when you start, you just, not just that, I mean, how many people just believe the blood alone, only, exclusively, is the acceptance to God for salvation? How many believe just that? Nothing more, plus and zero, nothing. Don't add anything to the blood of Christ. You just take care of one thing. That is, you trust the blood of Jesus Christ. Only, totally. And they really, really, really believe that. See? So, we have to, we have to hold His name, you see, and not deny any of this, of the faith. The faith that joins us to this person, you see. <sighs> That, to me, is the essence. And if you look at this, you can see here, we, we see how this is a kind of a... You see, these two here are really one. You see, these, this, is a, this is a kind of a little uh, connecting point here. The faith brings us into union with the person, you see. But uh, we have a couple of things. See, this is, this is verses here. Because two things come in after the person and the faith. And you can see this in number four. It says, But I have a few things against you because you have some who hold the teaching of Balaam. The teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat idols sacrificed and to commit fornication. Five. Thus you also have those who in like manner, who hold in like manner the teaching of the Nicolaitans. One says, hold fast my name, and the other says, some are holding the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You see? So here you see, we have this versus two teachings. The teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. You see? Balaam was a Gentile prophet, you see, who taught Balak, Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Right? And he taught them to do what? Two things. Look at it. To eat idols, sacrifices, and to commit fornication. You see? An idol, see, an idol here, this is Balaam. Okay, an idol, what is an idol? An idol is a replacement of the person. This is why it's an insult to God. It is a replacement of the person of Christ. Okay? And when it says to commit fornication, you see, of course, there's a history behind this. You know, this uh, at this point, you know, the, the Moabites and so forth, this is when the children of Israel were seduced and they began to what? Compromise and they mingled and mixed with the Moabite people and they had the, the Moabite wives and so forth. And in God's eyes, when His people mingled and married the Moabites, that to Him was committing fornication. That is a picture to us today that when we leave the person of Christ and get into teachings that are not according to this kind of healthy teaching, then what we end up with is a replacement of the person of Christ and in God's eyes, when we are not joined to the Lord, you see, we are, we're in the realm of idolatry. And that, in God's eyes, a replacement of the person is a spiritual fornication.
when the Apostle John ended his first epistle and he said, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Do you think he was talking about physical idols? Or do you think he was talking about things that are replacements to Christ? See? Then, of course, you have the teaching of the Nicolaitans uh, with Ephesus. We touched that they, had, they held the practice of the Nicolaitans, and uh, we got into that. And this is where uh, the system began to emerge, and it starts to develop here, and will consummate in Thyatira. And this is where the, the, the uh, clergy conquers the laity. Nico and Laetan. Nico meaning conquer and Laetan meaning laity. Only here it doesn't say the deeds or practices of the Nicolaitans. It says the teaching. This is serious. This means they practice and practice and practice until the point that it became a uh, solidified teaching. So now there's a teaching. And this is a compromise. You see, here, what is this? This right here, the realm here of idolatry and so forth, is against the person of Christ. So this, this is Satan's attempt to kill the head, which is Christ. The Nicolaitanism is a killing of the functioning of the members of the body. So it is a killing of the body of Christ. One is after the head and one is after the body. These two teachings are the way to knock off the corporate Christ. See, there's so much to say here, but this is not, this is not what we're into today. Okay? Uh, just a little bit about Antipas that I should say. Do you all understand all this? I think you got it. Don't you, have it? Don't you see what we're talking about? Of course, Antipas, Antipas was uh, this mysterious person, and I say that because there's no trace of him in any kind of history. Uh, don't think people had to guess about a lot of this stuff. There was a lot of chronicled history from the days of the New Testament on. Uh, we have many letters, many things that were written by people that uh, have been historically studied and produced and analyzed and so forth. There, there are many writings like that. But no Antipas is anywhere, you see. And actually, actually, uh, we, we don't doubt that there was a guy like this because this letter was written to the, to the church in Pergamos, right? So there's, in, in essence, there should be this person called Antipas there. But, but prophetically is where it really is strong because this is, a, this is a compound name made up of two words, anti and pos. You see? And anti... Anti means there what it means to us here. That it, it's an anti. It's anti. It's, it means against. Okay, means against. And pas, in Greek, is a derivative of the word pan, which means all. This man's name was against all. It says Antipas. It says my witness, my faithful one. Who was killed among you? He was faith. He was against. Let, let's just put it this way. He was against any, every, all. He was absolute, and he would give no compromise to anything of the world. He was a person who just cared for Christ. And that spirit is a spirit we need. We need to all be Antipas. See. Some of you that are married, maybe you all have kids before long. Name your first one Antipas. 
Okay, name him Antipas. And then they'll say later on, well, why'd you name him that? Then you have a chance to talk a little bit, share something. <laughs> well, it's, it's going to take me a while. Do you have a few minutes? Okay. He's against all. See, and, and, and his spirit is the spirit of the overcomer in Pergamos. He is here as an example. There were people at that time, though the church as a whole degraded into compromise, there were some shining stars, and Antipas was one of them. You know why? He didn't care. He didn't care. Do what you're going to do. I'm not taking that way. I'm not going that way. No. It cost him his life, but he was faithful. You know, he got a crown. So when we get up in the morning, we need to say, Lord, I love you. This is, Ant my, this is Antipas praying. Lord, I only, today, I only care for Christ. Only care for Christ. Only you, Lord. Then... Antipas. Right away, you've sensed overcoming. That's the overcoming spirit. Right. That makes you, that you're qualified to be an overcomer today. Today, rule and reign because you have the right spirit. <clears throat> then, uh, number six, it says, Repent, therefore, but if not, I come to you quickly, and I will war with the sword of my mouth which I don't think we'll say anything more about that. Then 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes to him, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows but he who receives it. Here we have a big thing called hidden manna. We have also an important thing called a white stone and uh, a little description about it that no one knows that there's a name written on it. No one knows that but the one who receives it. To me, the most important point in this whole thing is uh, the hidden manna. The most important thing in it all is hidden manna. Now, uh, do you want me to do you want me to share that now, or do you want to stop? And we'll share that tonight. It's up to you. You warmed up. Okay, I agree. I agree. It won't be easy to get back into it. Okay, then then I'll just try to give it to you. Okay, saints, uh, I want you to get a vision of hidden manna because if you'll get a hidden a vision of this. Uh, I just want to declare to you all, if you'll see the hidden manna in the way that gets you into it, you have just conquered the world. Amen. Hidden manna is the answer. Okay? So if you've been a little nervous about the world, all you have to do is catch this one thing. Now, aren't you glad we're getting into it? You'll enjoy your little recess a lot better, right? Okay, hidden manna. Uh, we need a little, little uh, history of Israel here to uh, see. Okay, this is the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Israel. Here's, uh, here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Jordan River. 
Here's the Dead Sea, something like that. Egypt's over here, you know, the Red Sea down this way. And the wilderness. Okay. Everybody understand what we're talking about here? This is, this is water. And that's land. Okay. Uh, the children of Israel experienced manna right here in the wilderness. Manna was food from heaven to nourish the children of Israel so that they could go God's way. Okay, that was their, that was their heavenly supply. Okay, and they ate manna in the wilderness. And after the 40 years journey in the wilderness and so forth, the children of Israel, remember this is all the time, a climbing, a climbing. Okay. Uh, a while ago, a while ago, I tried to put, give you a little picture that the world is in a, a uh, escalating decline, the snowball going down the hill. See, the world is headed down, down, down. The degradation is is uh, irreversible. Okay, because there is an authority behind it. Uh, the hidden manna is, is going up, 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 up. Okay? It is going in the exact opposite direction, you see? Down here they had manna because it doesn't say it was hidden, then it's obviously open manna. It fell on the ground, everybody saw it. It was a little white round thing. You went out and you gathered it and everyone ate it every day, right? That's all they ate. That's all they had. Okay, God met their spiritual needs through manna from heaven. Then as they got out of the wilderness after 40 years, they had some uh, experiences in this area going into the good land and uh, got up here and had some more experiences and uh, a tribe and a half stayed on this side of the river and uh, they finally crossed the Jordan River, got into the good land, uh, got the different tribes, 12 tribes uh, split into their different locations and they began to labor on the good land to uh, uh, the manna ceased and they had to raise their own produce, okay? And so they did that and three times a year they all brought it to Jerusalem for the feast, okay? Uh, you see, here, after the tabernacle traveled with them through all of the wilderness, eventually the temple was built. What is the temple? The temple is the uh, tabernacle put in the God-ordained location. It's the reproduction of the tabernacle, you see. And in the tabernacle, you had a situation like this, you see. You had uh, the Holy of Holies right here, okay? And here is the holy place. And then you had the outer court, okay? And this was, this was the way the tabernacle was, and the temple was a model of this, only it became fixed, permanent, and stationary in Jerusalem, okay? The Holy of Holies was unusual because inside the Holy of Holies here, I'll blow it up, there, among other things, there was the Ark of the Covenant, you see, with the cherubims overlooking the Ark. On the, and the mercy seat was right here on top of the ark. Inside, there were several things, right? You know what was in there? Three things. There were the 
tables, tables, tables of testimony, or the Ten Commandments. There's Aaron's, Aaron's rod that budded. And then there was also this thing called the Golden Pot. So another blow up here. Now this is the... Uh, this is the... Uh, uh, ark. Inside is a... Uh, a Golden Pot, okay? And inside this Golden Pot was manna. You see? From all of this situation, it's finally hidden here in the golden pot. So the children of Israel went all the way from Egypt where they were eating leeks and garlics, fighting all the time, all the battles they fought, at all the times they, you see, they made spiritual progress. They finally got to a place where there was manna, but it was not open. It was hidden in a golden pot. Do you follow? While the world was going down, God's people have been called to go up and come all the way to the stage of hidden manna. Okay, to eat the hidden manna. Now, you see, uh, there's two things here. This pot is golden. It's golden. And this manna is hidden. Both pot and manna have adjectives to them. Golden and hidden. You see, gold stands in the Bible stands for the nature of God is gold. Okay, so this manna is inside the nature of God. This eatable Christ, Christ as our living food, as a bread of life, is in the divine nature. Not only that, but this is this is secret. This is hidden, not public, you see. Okay, now, you have to catch me carefully here. When you eat the hidden manna, that is, when you enjoy Christ in such a close, intimate way, such an inward way, when you have such sweet, communion with the Lord Jesus and you really become one with Him at that time you are in the divine nature you are in God's nature okay God is life, light, love, holiness righteousness you're in the divine nature you eat the manna is in the golden pot. When you eat, when you eat Christ in this way, you eat the the hidden, sweet, close fellowship. Fellowship needs to be clear, close, and sweet. Clear, close, and sweet. Intimate. Then, then you're into the gold. You are touching and being a partaker of the divine nature, according to 2 Peter 1.4. Partakers of the divine nature. If you are partaking of the divine nature, I challenge you, I dare you, I... I, I 
uh, in the strongest terms, you tell me how a person who is into the hidden enjoyment of Christ that brings them into the divine nature can possibly have a problem with the world. They could not do it. If you check your experience, when you eat hidden manna and you touch the divine nature, the world loses its power. I mean, it just, it just bounces off. If you neglect it, the power starts to get stronger. The divine nature is the key. It's the key. Now listen to this. When we fellowship with the Lord Jesus, we eat the hidden manna, we enjoy this rich Christ, we touch Him in the Spirit, we fellowship, we, we stay with Him in this kind of a way. You believe me, okay? When, when we do this, we get the divine nature. And in that kind of fellowship, because it's very, uh, what shall I say, it's very, it's very intimate, very close. Then at that time, uh, let's say, let's say uh, the Lord is here and we're here. I, this is, we're in a traffic with the Lord, okay? In that kind of traffic, in the divine nature, you become a very sensitive brother or sister. Very sensitive in, the, in, in a proper sense. I mean, sensitive to the Lord. At that time, it's amazing, but at that time, something can come in right here and uh, break that real sweet inward sense of oneness with the Lord. Something can hinder it. You follow me? Something right here can hinder it. Uh, we'll call this we'll call this uh, a thing which, which, which results in a conflict. Is that fair? Deep within you, you sense there's a little something, something hindering my fellowship, Lord. I don't want anything to hinder my fellowship. And because we're in the, we're in the life, and the life is the light of men, the light shines, you see. And the light shines, and that thing that we had not been aware of or conscious of, that thing right there that comes in because you are eating hidden manna and getting into the divine nature, that thing that comes in here gets the lights turned on to it and you become enlightened by the indwelling spirit yes. that that thing is a conflict between the intimate, hidden, secret, <laughs> sweet fellowship between you and the Lord. You know what that thing is? Listen, that thing is the world. Don't argue. Don't say other people don't have to worry about that. To you, to you, if you want to keep the sweet fellowship in the divine nature, that thing is now in your experience before God, the world. And if you cut it off, then you stay in the sweet enjoyment, the divine nature, and the world to you is 
is, uh, is under your feet. Amen. You are victorious over the world. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. See, this is the way, saints. It's not, it's not we, we have this or that to tell you how to be worldly and how not to be worldly. Yes, there are some few major obvious things in the Bible that you simply can't fool around with. But after a while, the world is really defined not by a book, not by what somebody says, but it's defined by the divine nature inside you. Well, what that produces is a stone that is white. You know what happens after you eat the divine nature for a while? Man, which is typified as clay, which is muddy or dirty, has turned, I mean dirt, soft, muddy, clay, dirt, has been transformed into hard, solid stone. And instead of it being soft, it's hard. Instead of it being dirt, it's white. Amen. This, is, this means transformation that has been approved by God. In, the, in Revelation, the white, you know, they, saints were given white garments and so forth, the marred saints. This means approved. This, is, this, this gets, gets God's approval. So we eat the hidden manna until He transforms us into a white stone. And listen, and own the stone. Own the stone. Say, now you're on your way to being a stone. A new name is written, which no one knows, but he who receives it. God is writing. You see? See, Peter was a piece of clay. Muddy clay, right? And the Lord said, Peter, you're going to be a stone. You see? And so he changed his name to Peter, which means a stone. But the process of writing that new name hadn't been finished on Peter. You see? But, praise the Lord, by now, the process is done. And he has a new name. Or he got a new name, now he ha- it's written on his forehead. And no one knows his name, but he who receives it. What in the world does that mean? See? Well... Uh, maybe there's probably more interpretations on this particular thing or a lack of them because it's kind of a little mysterious here. But we could say we can say this much. That name is a result of the white stone, which is a result of the hidden manna in the golden pot. And that name is a name that is related to transformation. You see, you are being renamed. Okay, you're being renamed. What does this mean? This means that your experience of Christ has common aspects with all of us, but it also has particular aspects to you. You see, we are members of the body of Christ particularly so we have a corporate aspect and we have a particular aspect. Particularly, you're getting a name written on you. This is, a, this is you, the white stone. 
And that name is the specific experiences of Christ that constitute your being. Okay. Therefore, the reason no one knows this name but you is because no one has this particular experience in the same way but you. So you're getting a name there that is an aspect of Christ that's a little special with you, you see. And all the members of the body get the same name written on it. And it's not known, it's not seen. But nevertheless, it's your constitution. And it's amazing that some saints, even in this age, we can notice they are especially they are especially prevailing in some graces and aspects of Christ uh, in one way and some saints in another way and some saints in another way. It is an amazing thing, you see. But, but they're all producing a new name, you see. And though the person who receives it may not be able to articulate it, nevertheless, they have a sense of Christ within their being, of, of His reality that has some particularity to their experience. Does that make sense to you? I'm glad it does. Okay.